a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Hello listeners and welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode where today I'm joined by a gentleman from my hometown of Nottingham in the United Kingdom, Keith Daniel. Keith, very warm welcome to you again. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And I say again, Keith, because obviously we did a previous episode where we spoke around communicate with impact or be ignored. And we felt it was a good idea, listeners, for, for Keith and I to build on that and talk around beliefs because we know how strong beliefs are in our world. We know how strong communication or good communication is and the need for that. So we thought we'd put the two together and ask the question, how good do you believe your communication is? So any thoughts on that initial intro, Keith? I think you've only got to look at the communication around the world and particularly the government that i'm aware of in the uk i don't quite know what it's been like in in, in other countries although I, I see bits from spain and italy and america obviously and japan and china as well indeed but certainly for the uk's point of view when we've had clarity then the message has been well received and accepted and respected as soon as there's a lack of clarity then people's response is significantly different. And certainly in all my career, I suppose, certainly when I was managing people as well, if you didn't have an authentic voice and clarity in what you were saying, then people, I think, picked holes in it, embroidered what they knew to actually fit their own version of what they wanted to hear, and the message as a consequence got diluted. So I think for me, the underlying principle is you've got to have an authentic belief in what you're saying, and then you've got to communicate it with clarity and simplicity if you want to maximize the impact. If you do anything that lessens that in any way, then you certainly diminish the result and are likely to get a muddled message, which is a very long answer to a very simple question, Paul. <laughs> And it's interesting, Keith, listening to you speak there, because one of the one of the quotes I seem to refer to at least semi-consistently on uh, on these podcast conversations with people around the globe is is the American quality guru Tom Peters when he coined the um, the phrase "perception is all there is." And you raised a very interesting point there, Keith. I believe in in any communication in a, in any dynamic where isn't it true that we as the listener sometimes, if not often, we'll hear what we want to hear because it's been filtered through our own system and our own model of the world. Whether that was actually, you know, whether that's been understood 
from the person that delivered the communication or the intention from the, the person that, you know, usually the two can be quite polarised, can't they? I think people always put their own slant on what they hear. And you only need to look at your day-to-day -day interactions with people, let alone politics and more serious and significant messages that may or may not affect people's lives. But your history, your experience, everything you've ever done inevitably creates a change in the way you interpret what you hear. Let me give you an example. Somebody who, British Prime Minister at the moment, Boris Johnson, somebody who likes him, values him, rates him, respects him, perhaps voted for him, perhaps has sympathy for him for the COVID-19 illness that he went through and all the rest of it, will come into most situations where he speaks with one perception, whereas somebody who perhaps supported Jeremy Corbyn and has always been left of centre and does not like anything that Boris Johnson stands for, will come in with a completely different perception. Now, that is a really crass example, but the reality is that you can kind of dilute that to certain extents wherever you look, but the reality is your perception will be changed by the history that you bring with it. So the real skill, in a sense, is to try and rise above that. And one of the ways you do it is by having absolute clarity in the message. Another is by actually using your body language and everything else that goes with it to ensure that the message and the way you're saying it are aligned. And I can't remember if we spoke about this before, Paul, but one of the things I often say to people is just record yourself on your mobile phone talking and then play it back with the sound down. Because an awful lot of people, when they look at themselves back, cannot believe how dull and miserable and disinterested, and if I may say funereal, they look. So what we need to do is make sure we, and I don't particularly like the phrase, but let me use it, align the message and the messenger to maximize the impact that comes from it. Mm, yeah. Interesting that um, when you was referring to the Boris Johnson, the um, the example you gave there, Keith, around there was a word that jumped out of me that was emotions. When we attach ourselves to to somebody, you know, be it whoever, there's that underlying I like him or I don't like her or whatever it may be, and that kind of nicely, I think. You know, there's this this train of thought, and uh, I think it's generally attributed to Gandhi. Although I've done some some research on this, and there's there's a lot of conjecture about whether it was Gandhi. It's even a bit attributed as more recent times to to Lao Tzu two and a half thousand years ago, and as recently as Margaret Thatcher um, in very recent, relatively recent times. So anyway, the origin is kind of irrelevant. That's academic. But it's the, the saying um, of your beliefs influence your thoughts, your thoughts influence your words, your words influence your actions, your actions influence your habits, your habits influence your values and your values influence your destiny. So at the top of that one there, Keith, kind of just going into the thoughts element, the the general consensus is our emotions are very, very dramatically influenced by our thoughts. So there's this kind of whole 
mixed bag of what's going off here you know when we just might sit there and listen to somebody speak and they're communicating there's this whole thing that's going off underneath around well, what beliefs do i have what global beliefs do i have you know and, I, and i'll give you an example of where i come from in a city council estate um very infamous notorious for all kinds of weird wonderful things and one of the things keith as a belief that i was brought up with boys like her well first of all big boys don't cry and boys like us don't go to university we go to prison <laughs> yeah, yeah i i grew up with that and i mentioned the university angle because it was something later in life that i went against the grain and there was a lot of people my peers that didn't like that because it smacked in the face of their beliefs their ingrained beliefs so there's this kind of whole emotional attachment to you know well i actually like boris johnson so whatever he says i mean we get it with celebrities keith don't we that you know i'm going to be quite sort of controversial and maybe a slightly judgmental here when i say they could talk the biggest load of tripe but because they're famous inverted commas people hang on to the words because of that emotional attachment i think that's true until something happens that completely changes that perception and and then you almost have this catastrophic fall from acceptance to pariah uh, look at david beckham as a really good example when mm -hmm. beckham got himself sent off after that slightly silly flick all those years ago he was vilified by some of the tabloid press in the uk and absolutely for a period of time became a pariah reinvented himself partly because he was a brilliant footballer and partly because certainly in my dealings with him and i've only met beckham on three occasions i think so i'm speaking from a very small pool of experience but on those three occasions he was charm personified even when the cameras weren't rolling he was pleasant and friendly and eloquent and nothing was too much trouble and I rather suspect that that is a, a part of his personality that was kind of rebuilt and then magnified as he became more and more successful and more and more famous. And now he's he's almost, if you like, a national treasure, isn't he? Okay, I know there are some financial bits that occasionally might come back out of the, the cupboard and haunt him and other stories. But by and large, people's perception of someone like Beckham is incredibly positive. But he doesn't really say anything overly controversial and dramatic when he does, or if he does, and look at the Black Lives Matter campaign at the moment. I don't know if Beckham has spoken out on that. If he did, I think it would become significant news, be well reported, and I'm pretty sure it would be something along the lines of inequality and injustice are unacceptable, which I think most people would, would buy into. So I think you're right. Perception does fundamentally change the way we then interpret what we hear and you know going back to boris johnson his hair for example i know because i do it in a lot of my classes i ask questions about about what people's perception is his hair really annoys some people some people say he can't be bothered others say it's part of the personality and they quite like it the fact that he's breaking some of the rules but if somebody else came along and tried to model themselves on Boris Johnson and particularly that hair, 
they would look stupid and lack, I think, integrity, and the perception would be very, very weak. So sometimes the authenticity of what you say is really important and the authenticity of what you look like is really important. And sometimes you can break the rules and get away with it and actually enhance the profile that you create as a consequence. But that's quite a risky strategy to go into any kind of performance with. Mm. What was going through my mind listening to you speak there, Keith, and I don't know how closely aligned this is with what we're talking about, but uh, I'll uh, I'll mention it anyway. But I had a conversation with a guy, um, and I'm sure you know him, Keith, from your previous journal, journal um, journalistic days, David McVeigh, when he wrote, uh, I think, a brilliant piece around Diaries of a Football Nobody. Yeah. And when I spoke to um, Dave around this, I think he's living in France, south of France now. It was about a year ago, 18 months ago, something like that. And I said, you know, that that phrase, Dave, has been with me for years. And I have an understanding of what, what it is. I think I have an understanding of what it is you're trying to say. And can you clarify it for me? You know, it was just a general chat, Keith. And anyway, we we was talking about football and, you know, the, the good old days, a bit of nostalgia and all that kind of stuff. And he said, well, what's your perception then? I said, my perception is that if I was somebody rich and famous and I put, and, you know, particularly in today's world of very powerful social media, if I put something out there because I was rich and famous you would have the world and his dog would cling to it. But because I'm Mr. Un or Mrs. Unknown, it's almost, well, who's this guy that's saying this, speaking out, you know, who are they? What, who do they think they are? You know, um, so there's this kind of whole perception thing again, isn't there? And I love personally love that phrase, diary is a football nobody, because I actually on a personal level, Keith, like to, acclaim that well I'm a football nobody but it doesn't mean that any my message is any less important than somebody that's on a world stage that's true but if the message has a value that you want to resonate with people then you need to make sure the message gets heard and sometimes not always but sometimes a very worthy message simply gets lost whereas if a celebrity is attached to it that worthy message gets amplified and broadcast to a much wider audience. That doesn't make it right, but if the message is worth fighting for, then perhaps sometimes the means justifies the ends and you need that celebrity endorsement, if that's the right word. But I do think it's difficult to do that without having a degree of affinity with the message. Maybe, maybe when it's product, you know, Adidas, Puma or, or Nike or something, that's slightly different. But even then, I think the, the consumer likes affinity with the product, which is why they buy into it, because they see the likes of Beckham or Michael Jordan wearing a particular brand. But I think if we want a message to be heard, and we are a nobody, I'm not quite sure what exactly that means, but less than well-known, should we say, then it is yeah. very difficult to get a message out there. Very, very difficult, because... The message has either got to be phenomenally strong or controversial, not easy to do, or it needs to have some kind of celebrity or even political endorsement, in which case it becomes more newsworthy. The, the reality is social media has re 
reinvented the whole concept of journalism in a sense, because whereas journalism previously was about the story, okay, who made the judgment on the story, now anybody in effect is a citizen journalist. I use that in the broadest sense of the word because a Twitter or an Instagram post is the story. And if you've got enough followers on what you do and how you say it, then you do create a resonance and a perception that goes to a wider audience. That doesn't make it right, but these days you can be a celebrity just by being a celebrity. And that's quite difficult, I think, for people, particularly some older people, and I would put my, myself in that category, I'm 59, to actually understand, respect the fact that you can become a voice that is heard without any credibility behind why you're a voice that's heard. And that, that's something I think that the the digital world, the social media world has enabled and which has then flourished. I'm not entirely comfortable for it because I think there's no responsibility that goes with it. And, and for me, this is taking us into a completely different area, Paul, but for me, one of the failings is that the likes of Twitter and YouTube, and Google even, have become publishers without the responsibility that goes with a publisher in the real world. So, for example, a newspaper or a television channel or a radio has to have a fundamental ability to, to broadcast the truth or to publish the truth and to give a right of reply and to create a, a balance. There may be a political nuance there, but a balance. But in the, the, the world of, of Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and so on and so forth, the, the, the publisher has virtually no responsibility to take ownership of the validity of the message. And I think that was a, a failing right from the start. We should have made sure the publisher remained responsible. And with that goes cost, yes. But that would, I think, have created a very different dynamic in terms of the way social media is used. But there we are. That's a much bigger picture, but that's just a personal view. Mm, social media. Mm. Um, so just going back, Keith, to the fundamental uh, question, the working title that we set ourselves here, how good do you believe your communication is, not you personally? But if we all ask ourselves that and take it away from this kind of more global perspective and, and, and you know, introspectively look at ourselves around, well, okay, I think I'm a good communicator, but I'm not sure. And I suppose the fundamental question there, Keith, is, you know, to what degree do our beliefs, you know, just because I think I'm a great podcaster, is that true? To what degree, Keith, does that, that play into the fact that obviously, you know, from my own point of view, uh, the risk of sound, you know, putting the, the spotlight on me, but that will that will create a certain amount of self-belief, positive energy, a short self-assurance. But actually, the judges of that are going to be the outside world, aren't they? The listeners, the you know, the figures, etc., the stats that say, do you know what? I really want to listen to this guy and his great guests. Or oh no, you know. So it does really bring that question home, Keith, doesn't it? Around how good do we believe we are in communication? Well, it does. But good is a really difficult word to actually define and, and it's a word that to be honest i try not to use the word good because i'm, I'm not entirely sure what what it means but mm -hmm. but let's use the word good as an example so what what does good mean in terms of a podcast 
does it mean you've produced something with real quality or does it mean you've got 20,000 listeners or 200 listeners or 50 listeners and that becomes a very subjective view of what good actually means so mm -hmm. for example in in the UK when schools have their Ofsted inspection back in the days when inspectors could actually go into schools and, and schools were full of happy thriving children as opposed to small classes of 15 as we are at the moment but Ofsted always had a description of a school as as good or inadequate or whatever it might be and I always thought that was quite strange but okay that was good judged against Ofsted's criteria of good if you're talking about a podcast I'm not sure to put it bluntly how you define good because you need to set your definition of what good means to be able to, to, to decide whether it's good or not. So is it about numbers? Is it about the quality of the broadcast? Is it about the quality of the guest? Is it about the reach and the impact that it has? I occasionally listen to a podcast from the Financial Times, for example, here in the UK, and the numbers of people who listen to that podcast are very, very low compared to some of the more popular podcasts that get tens, hundreds of thousands of listeners. But the quality of the, the broadcast, the podcast, I think makes it absolutely fascinating. And therefore, that's one that I, I listen to. So I think the, it, it all depends on your objectives, doesn't it? And where you come mm -hmm. from. And that's where the beliefs bit kicks in again. Because if you set yourself out... So I did my little videos on, on, on YouTube, on training during the, the lockdown period. And when I first did them, I set myself a target of getting 100 views. And I thought, if I get 100 views, that's great. I've, I've maybe given a few people a few things to think about. And then when I looked across YouTube and LinkedIn and my own website, the number of views we got to was over 10,000. And I thought, wow, okay, that is terrific. But if I'd have set myself an initial target of 20,000, I'd be thinking, no, that was not very good. That's I failed. But actually, my initial target was 100. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy from that point of view. So I think, it's, so, so going back to your question of a good podcast, do you judge it in terms of the, the value that you take from it? Do you judge it in terms of the value your guests take from it? Do you judge it in terms of the number of people who listen to it or the impact on it? All those are, are, are very, very difficult questions. And unless you're operating in a commercial world where perhaps you can then say success comes purely down to pounds, shillings and pence, as we used to call it. I think it's quite difficult to actually define what, what good means. But if good is anything to do with satisfaction and being the best that you can be on any given day and coming across with something interesting that actually resonates with people, then, then good is a terrific word to use. But if somebody else says, well, for me, good is having 100,000 listeners, then that's their judgment and, and may cloud everything else that goes with it. Yeah, it um, just on that one word, Keith, there, good, it brings, it's kind of flipping back, if we can call it Gandhi's model of beliefs, thoughts and words, you know, the, the power and the importance of words, isn't it? I mean, it just, I, I feel that there's a kind of, you know, all these things are so tightly linked and, and you know, just to repeat what, what I what I offered earlier on in our conversation around all these things are sort of going on, you know, stirring below the surface, and you know we're maybe not consciously aware of them, but they all contribute to 
communicating effectively, don't don't they? Well, they do because words and perception and people's mannerisms and gestures and everything that goes with that overall view that we take on people is is to be brutally honest in our modern world all we have you know, unless we go back to hitting people to get our own way and then the strongest or the, the biggest bully wins or we revert to fighting wars i think all we have is the power of the voice the argument the communication the message and then persuading people that is certainly in Europe, most parts of the world, that is the fundamentals of democracy, isn't it? You don't put your two leaders in a boxing ring and say whoever knocks the other one out is going to be the winner. You actually judge people on the argument in theory, but the argument is nuanced by personality and everything we've talked about before in terms of the beliefs that you come with. But nonetheless, the fundamental is we can persuade people. And if we do that effectively, then actually our message resonates and comes through that that is the fundamentals of of, of democracy and, and goes back to the to the greeks and, and probably before that so i think you're right the, the words and the way we say them and the way we put them over thankfully are what we have and maximize everything that our society stands for i keep coming back to the fact though that if we want to communicate effectively we need to do so with clarity. And often the only way to get clarity is to know what it is you want to say before you start saying it. And I think all too often people don't know what they want to say, respond emotionally, and therefore sometimes in a way that they didn't really mean. And as a consequence, they end up creating, if not the wrong, then certainly an incorrect or diluted perception of what they actually wanted to, to communicate. Mm. And that uh, clarity around clarity, Keith, is I think is a very nice way as we start to you know to to work towards the close here. I mean, is there anything for me listening to that? My personal take is this: you know, that is very very clear. It's very simple, and I, boy, do I love simplicity personally. But you know, there's nowhere to go with that. But is there anything that you feel, Keith, to you know, just to, by way of closing this? this insightful conversation that that can be added to that or is that literally very very simple and brilliant uh, within its its clarity well the, the the single i think it i think it is simple and i like things to be simple but i think the one thing i often say to people is try not to respond emotionally immediately because that may not be the best possible response in any given situation and, and let me give you an example if somebody challenges you with a really nasty question the typical response from people is defensive so they often fold their arms they often get aggressive they immediately become defensive or and they say uh and they, they try to deflect and get away from what they want to say better is to just receive the challenge with an open gesture perhaps a thoughtful nod of the head, buy yourself time. And I often come back to the words, very simple words, well and now. Buy yourself time, gives you a second or two to think and then respond. The initial emotional response is understandable, but is often not what, when we thought about it, the actual response we wanted to come across with and often 
it is a response that simply perpetuates the hostility, the anger, the lack of connection. So I, I think very often taking time, reflecting, receiving the gesture, receiving the challenge with open gestures, and then with the degree of thought saying what you want to say is, is a better response than just that instant knee-jerk reaction. But that's very easy to say until somebody calls you something horrible and you respond with hostility. But actually, in our society, I do think it matters. Mm. That is fantastic advice. It really is. But as you say, Keith, it's not always easy to do. Um, just a humorous, probably a little bit of a humorous um, note to finish on there. When you were speaking about that, um, and I don't know if there is any direct connection, but it, it kind of filtered through my mind of, you know, the great Brian Clough when he said, you know, in times of disagreement, we talk about it for two minutes and then decide I was right. Maybe mm -hmm. even, you know, clinging to something as as humorous as that can be a great deflector or a diffuser of when we're in that moment. Certainly things like that for me, Keith, are, you know, I keep those little things at the back of my mind so that when I am under perceived attack, it's, you know, it, it just buys you those few seconds, as you say, to, to you know, to deflect or diffuse, doesn't it? Absolutely. Humour is a fantastic tool and warmth and engagement absolutely as well. And if it just, just as a final thought from me, if I was a New Zealander and I'd seen the way my Prime Minister handled the COVID-19 crisis and that one comment she came out with when she said, I would just like to reassure all children, this was during the lockdown, all children that the, the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny are not part of the lockdown process. <laughs> now, you can't make that up, can you? What a fantastic <laughs> turn of phrase that, that she came out with that I think absolutely was everything that you want from a communicator in that it was warm and engaging and it spoke across generations. And at the worst possible time, she would have put a smile on so many people's faces. So you had that integrity of message beautifully delivered with resonance and authority and power, but also with respect and emotion. And, and I thought that will go down as, I think, one of the great moments of the COVID-19 crisis, when in the midst of horror and death and panic, there was a voice of calm and warmth and engagement. Mm, absolutely what a beautiful way to bring things to a close keith i want to thank you immensely as i say for sharing your insights your wisdom your compassion as well so sincere gratitude there keith thank you my pleasure paul thank you very much indeed and all that remains now uh listeners is for me to sign off by saying as you know mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www.paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts.